This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. My name is Pastor Mark Howard. I'm going to be uh, conducting the seminar. We're in this uh, seminar is actually Soul Winning 201, and what we're talking about this session is how to give a really good Bible study. So if you had intended to be in a different seminar than this one, the Lord put you in this one for a purpose. Amen? Unbeknownst to you, maybe, we're going to talk about how to give a really good Bible study. Um, I am a pastor currently in the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and I also am the director of our conference's lay training school, the Emmanuel Institute of Evangelism. Um, On your way out, if you've not received it already, you'll get one of these cards from Audioverse. Emmanuel Institute has actually done a training course, a video training course with Audioverse. If you feel you'd like to have more extensive training, uh, apparently... Audioverse had had a lot of requests for training, and and people say, I can't go to one of those training schools. Is there something available online? Well, there is now through Audioverse, and you get a discount with this card and a free T-shirt at the uh, Audioverse booth. So make sure you get one of those on the way out. And then we also have a card here uh, highlighting a couple of our manual programs that you might be interested in taking if you want further training. Now, having said that, I'd like to start our session here with a word of prayer, so I am going to ask you to bow your heads with me as I kneel and pray. Father in heaven, Father, we are grateful that we can be here at this event. We're thankful that we have the opportunity and the privilege to come together as like-minded believers and be recharged and revived Father, we pray that your spirit would help us not to just come here and receive a blessing and leave it, but that we would take that blessing from here and we would bless others. We pray these things and ask them in the name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Okay, now we've been talking about, in fact, I need to back up a little bit. We do a lot of training at Emanuel Institute. There's a lot of things that we we, we train people in, in the whole philosophy, if you will, of evangelism. But my primary purpose for this course here was to get people to leave GYC and commit themselves to studying with somebody and leading them into the truth. Now, I see a lot of new faces in this particular seminar, so I want to tell you one of the reasons why I'm saying that I want to share with you a statement that is found in the book Christian Service, among other places. That statement says this, page 69 in Christian Service. Let ministers, that's me, teach church members, that's most of you, that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them. And we talked in our last session how we might not use that word burden as much today as we would use the word responsibility. Don't miss this. The prophet of the Lord talks to you and me today and says that God has laid a responsibility on us that will help us grow in spirituality, and it's the only way we can grow in spirituality. So I'm going to read it again. Let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, they must carry the burden that the Lord, the responsibility that the Lord has laid upon them, the responsibility of leading souls into the truth. And when you read this in Ellen White's writings, especially and specifically here, leading them into the truth means the truths of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so what I mentioned before in this seminar is this is not giving somebody a glow tract, as great as that is. This is not smiling and saying to somebody, God loves you, giving them a sandwich because they're hungry, as great as those things are. Leading somebody into the truth implies a consistent, regular working with somebody until they take their stand with God's remnant people. And we're told by the pen of inspiration 
that that is a responsibility that the Lord has laid on everyone here. A responsibility that if you don't take upon yourself, you will not grow in spirituality. The author goes on to say, those who are not fulfilling their responsibility should be visited, prayed with, and labored for. She uses that language when you're working with a weak church member. Why am I reading this? Why am I sharing this? I want you to understand here at this GYC that this is not an option for you as a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. I mentioned in, the, in one of the previous seminars, it's like you ever see those relay races or run in the relay races, right, where somebody has a baton and they're running around the track and they hand the baton to the next guy and he grabs it and he runs and he gets Have you seen those before? Jesus was the original baton carrier and it's like he's running around the track. Then he gives to the Peter or Paul. They're running. They come down and give the Adventist pioneers. They're running. They come down to our age and they go and they hand the baton and we say, right? It's not an option for a true follower of Christ. But I know a lot of people don't get involved in sharing their faith and giving studies because they're afraid and they're nervous. I want you to know that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And if you say, Lord, here I am, send me, he'll use you. And in fact, in the book Education, he promises that his angels will speak through your voice and work through your hands. That's in the chapter called The Life Work in Education. So we're talking about how to give a really good Bible study. Now, I need to qualify this. I'm going to share with you tips on how to make a Bible study more effective. But something that I shared, and I'll, I'll start out with something similar here, but I shared in our last session is... Don't wait until you think you can give a really good Bible study to give a really good Bible study. How many of you know the name John Wesley? Okay, John Wesley was one of the founders of the Methodist Church. They used to say that John Wesley was a great preacher. He preached five sermons a day. The follow-up question is this. Did he preach five sermons a day because he was a great preacher? Or was he a great preacher because he preached five sermons a day? We're told in the book Education that it's in the water, not on land, that men learn to swim. That answers that question. The reality is, if you, the more you apply yourself to something, the more proficient you're going to become at it. So don't wait until you think you're some expert. Folks, if you wait until you feel like you're an expert at giving Bible studies, you'll never do it. I wouldn't be a ministry if I waited until I was a good minister. I wouldn't preach if I waited until I was a good preacher. You understand what I'm saying? I mean... You're always going to see the things that you wish were better. But God wants to use you where you are. And he will develop your talents and your skills. So I hope that you're here saying, yeah, here I am. I'm going to leave this place at GYC and I want to share Christ with somebody. I want to give Bible studies and I want to win somebody to the truth. i lead a soul into the truth. So these are tips on how to make your Bible studies more interesting and effective. Now, I meant to mention, I don't have this up on the screen now. If you go to this link, you can get the handout that I am following here. Okay? So if you have a device and you can type that in, you can download, it's number four, how to give a really good Bible study, and you can download that PDF and follow along. Now, the first thing I want to share with you is a prerequisite to any and all soul-winning work. In other words, when you're sharing your faith in any capacity. This is the prerequisite to any and all soul winning work. And that is this. Remember that the work and its results are God's, not yours. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is a story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. You remember that story? Jonathan, the son of King Saul. The Philistines have got the Israelites um, paying tribute. And Jonathan, the son of Saul, gets to thinking to himself, why are we paying tribute? We're God's people. This has gone on long enough. We shouldn't be subject to them. They should be subject to us. And he attacks a garrison of the Philistines in Geba. You can read this in 1 Samuel 13 and 14, the chapters. 
Well, the Philistines get all fired up about it, and they divide up into three groups, and they're going to come in and totally decimate the Israelites. So the Israelites all begin basically freaking out, and they, they begin um, going and hiding in rocks and in, uh, behind, under rocks and in caves and the Bible, anywhere they could when you read the story in Scripture. Anyway, long and short of it, Jonathan goes to his armor bearer. So, in fact, the Philistines, you got to understand that these, these warring nations were brutal. Um, in, in the book of Judges, when Israel went against the armies of Sisera, the Bible talked about Sisera, how he had great iron chariots. And we don't, you know, that, we read that, okay, great iron chariots. What you don't realize, unless you do a little research, is that those armies, oh, I'm trying to remember the army now. It wasn't the Amalekites, was it? Who Sisera was fighting against. Anyway, or who Sisera was for. Judges chapters 4 and 5. Anyway, you can look that up for me. But their great iron chariots had blades that came out from the wheels six feet wide. And they would ride those chariots through the foot soldiers and mow them down like grass. Now that might give you a little more vivid image of what it would feel like when you realize that a warlike nation now is... is uh, furious with you and wants to come and destroy you. So Jonathan's got the Philistines riled up. It was a warlike nation. They're going to come against the Israelites. They're all trembling. People have defected from the army. Only a few remain, if you read the story. And Jonathan goes to his armor bearer and he says, hey, what do you say we go up and show ourselves to the Philistines? <laughs> what a great idea, right? Oh, good idea. Incidentally, the armor bearer was an armor bearer for a reason. Because they were already outnumbered. Look, if you're outnumbered and, and you're an armor bearer and not a soldier, it's because you're not old enough and trained enough to be a soldier. So it's not like Jonathan's going to some trained expert. He's going to the armor bearer. What do you say we go on up? And then Jonathan says something in the context of the story. I can, I'm, I'm getting ready to launch into my preaching on Jonathan's armor bearer, and I can't do that. But Jonathan says something in the story. He says to his armor bearer, that it doesn't matter how many people they have because the Lord can save by many or by few. The Lord can save by many or by few. You've probably heard it said that God plus one is a majority. When you witness for Christ, you have to remember that it is not your battle, it is His battle. Don't worry about how weak you are. Think about how strong He is. That's a prerequisite to any kind of soul-winning work. Look, Jesus wouldn't have called you and me to go and preach the gospel if he didn't think he could use us to do it. Right? He knew what he was getting. Listen to this statement from the book Evangelism, page 127. I'm going to preface this by saying, I don't always remember page numbers of quotes. I can remember good quotes, but I don't always remember page numbers. But I always remember this one, page 127, because I think it goes very well with another passage, or passage of Scripture, Psalm 127, verse 1, and that psalm says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchman wakes in vain. Unless the Lord... Now, that doesn't mean the watchman doesn't need to watch. That doesn't mean the builder doesn't need to build. But in all the building and all the watching, we've got to put our trust in God and realize unless He does something, nothing's worth anything. And so it is with soul winning. Listen to this statement. There is far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be converted. Do you have someone you love that is outside the truth? Do you know that there's far more being done by the whole universe of heaven than you have any idea of so that your loved ones will be saved? When we go to work for Christ, we're just joining in a work that's already taking place. I'm not the originator of it. You're not the originator of it. It doesn't all depend on me and you. We're joining the armies of heaven. There's far more being done by the universe of heaven than we have any idea of in preparing the way so that souls shall be converted. We want to work in harmony with the messengers of heaven. We want more of God. Now listen to this. 
oh, you know what? I put it in the handout and I, and I quoted it from something else and I really don't like what I did there. Let's see if I can remember it. it, it this here it says we want more of God and then after that there's an ellipsis and after that in the, the, the full quote it says we don't want to thank you very much, brother. The full quote says this. Now, now I'm going to read on beyond what it says right here. We want more of God. We do not want to feel that it is our talking and our sermonizing that is to do the work. That doesn't mean we don't talk and we don't give sermons. We just don't want to put the emphasis there. I'll comment on that in a moment. We do not want to feel that it is our talking and our sermonizing that is to do the work. We want to feel that unless the people are reached through God, they will never be reached. Remember, when you're going out and... and sharing the truth with others. Christ is with you. His angels are with you. You need to remember that you're going in their strength. The whole universe of heaven. Now, when I read that, and I say we're not to feel that it's our talking and our sermonizing, you know what we tend to do? First thing we tend to do is say, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be going and bragging and patting ourselves on the back and feeling like we're doing some great thing. We always think of it in the bragging type of, you know, proud kind of, uh, a way of taking that statement. But I want you to think of it a little bit differently. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and it goes south? As far as you, as far as you can see, it goes bad. It, you don't think, it's like, oh man, that was terrible. I wish I hadn't done that. Have you ever done that? Now I want to tell you, I shared with a group earlier today, I had a church member who did that with his brother. His brother got so mad, he said, never talk to me about a religious thing again. Don't go judging me and everything else. I don't ever want to talk to you about spiritual things again. That brother told me the story himself at one of our church socials, and he said, you know, it wasn't until my brother got me mad about questioning my spiritual life that I first decided I needed to give it to Christ. So there are times when you go, I mean, I could tell you story after story about incidents where somebody was mad and God turned it around. In fact, our conference president, Elder Gallimore, said, you know, when you share the truth with somebody, first they get mad, then they get sad, then they get glad. You know, you get mad, and then you say, wait a minute, why am I being so mad? Why am I, I'm, I'm prideful, and then sad, you sorrow for sin, and then you come to know Jesus, and you accept him, and phew, praise God. So it doesn't, but there are times when we feel like we did this terrible, oh, I, I wish I hadn't said it, I messed it up, I flubbed it up. You felt that way before. Yes? What are you thinking is doing the work in that situation? You're talking, or you're sermonizing. You can do it on the negative side too, see? We can, oh, you shouldn't brag about it and take all credit to yourself. You're right, you shouldn't take credit to yourself either way. You trust the Lord and you go out and you do the best you can and don't go beating yourself up because it didn't turn out how you wanted it to. You can't see what God sees. And God's going to turn it around for His good and, and, and for your good and for their good. We want to feel that unless the people are reached through God, they will never be reached. Remember that. You remember that God's got it in his control. And you can go and share your faith with confidence. Now, with that introduction, that prerequisite, I want to give you four tips for better Bible study. Okay? Tip number one, assume the role of teacher. Now, I guess this should be, this should be commonsensical, but it's not. One of the things I hear a lot today, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes in a, in a, I mean, I don't mean to be critical, but one of the things I hear a lot of today is in our own churches, in a Sabbath school class, I go and sit in a Sabbath school class and have somebody get up in front of the class and say, now I'm not the teacher here today, I'm just the facilitator. And I'm thinking, why am I listening to you? What college class do you go to in the college? I don't know, maybe they do today in this relativistic generation. You're paying credit hour, you're paying money to go to college, and the professor gets up and says, now I'm not going to teach you anything, we're just going to discuss things today. You're not going to get your medical degree that way. Now, I'm not saying you can't have discussion, but, but my point is this. I know members that are like, well, I don't want to get into a Bible study, and then I'm talking with my friend, and they said, they'll, well, we'll study together, but I don't want to give them Adventist studies, because then they'll feel like I'm pushing it on them, so maybe we'll just get together and study the Gospel of John. Folks, Jesus didn't commission you to give them the Gospel of John. Jesus commissioned you to give them the third angel's message. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with studying John. Don't misunderstand me. But when we read that statement about leading souls into the truth, that's into the present truth for this time, that if a person does not know, listen to me, if we are truly living in the last generation, and I believe we are, 
and somebody does not know our message, they're going to be lost, period. They're going to be lost. Our message is what God gave, and, and, and you're going to think, well, what, what happens if we don't? Look, if we don't give it to them, the stones are going to cry out. It's God's message, not my message and your message. So when I say our message, it's in that context. God has entrusted us with a very specific message to give to people. It's the message of the gospel of Christ in that context of the three angels of Revelation. Leading souls into the truth. God has appointed us when we're leading, so if you're leading somebody in the truth, you're the teacher. Assume the role as teacher. That doesn't mean you have to be arrogant. In fact, you shouldn't be arrogant. That doesn't mean you're higher than they are. But somebody has to assume that role as teacher when you're going to study. Now, if you're going to study with somebody that's just kind of batting things around and we're just sharing ideas, your study's not going to go anywhere. And there, I've, I've had that experience where I've studied with people and they don't want me to be the teacher. And we're like, okay. And so I try to work it out. Some, you know what's really happening there? That person just isn't open to the truth. There are people that might study with you just so long as we study this thing. Okay, I'll study with you, but we've got to go over. Let's not go over anything from your church or my church. We'll go over some, just a book of the Bible. What that means is they're not open to the truth. I mean, why, why does somebody want to study if they don't want to learn? <laughs> the Bible talks about those who, learn, who are always learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. It's not really open. You want to find somebody. there. I'm going to tell you that when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, that means there are people open to the truth. And if you're, you've got a friend and they just don't want to, well, I just don't want to study things from your church, somebody in your circle of influence does. Go there and study. I'm not, don't break your friendship off with the person, but I'm just saying, study you want to assume the role of a teacher, and if a person doesn't want you to be the teacher, they probably don't want to learn anything. If they are seeking the truth, they're going to expect you to be the teacher in that study. You know, I'll tell you something. I probably shouldn't say this. It's interesting, as a pastor, and I've been pastoral ministry for 16 years now, we always have these debates in Sabbath schools. You have your your, your Sabbath school, this kind of seminar-like where you, you know, have somebody teaching a lesson, and then you have the circle group, right? Especially when young people get together, it's like, well, we got to sit in a circle, at whatever, okay? Now, that's, I'm not against the circle, but I'm going to tell you what generally is happening, and this isn't just with young people. We have the debate all the way through the ranks. What generally is happening is this. The people who want to sit in this, it's not just about sitting in a circle, but some people don't like the fact that somebody's just teaching the lesson. You know why? Because they want to teach from where they're sitting. That's reality. They're not there to learn. And I'm going to tell you something. When I go and do an evangelistic series and I baptize people and they come into the church, and I'm not talking about people coming into the church and these are ignorant people and they don't have any Christian background. I'm talking about young and old. I'm talking about male and female. I'm talking about people with a lot of Christian experience, a little Christian experience. I'm talking about wealthy and influential or, you know, somebody who just works a blue-collar job across the board. The new people say, I wish there wouldn't be so many people interrupting in class so I could hear what you're teaching. There's a difference between somebody who wants to learn something. And when you're giving a Bible study, you're giving it to somebody who wants to learn. They're expecting you to be the teacher. So teach. Okay? Lead, assume that role. Uh, I'll flesh that out when we get to another point here. Second tip. Believe the message yourself. You know, I'm going to tell you that I've done a... Evangelistic training is, is a strange thing from this standpoint. People share what they're excited about. Has anybody here seen the documentary Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? Okay? It's incredible. It really is an incredible story about a guy, Australian businessman, who is unhealthy, overweight... And, and got into doing a 60-day juice fast. It's not a prescription for everybody in the world to do a 60-day juice fast or whatever else. It's just his story. But what's interesting is the guy was on all kinds of medications, had a health condition that couldn't be cured and what have you. He started to do this juice fast, and he got off his medications. He lost weight. He started feeling better. Now what do you think he starts doing? Well, in this documentary, I mean, he basically, because he had the money... Evidently, 
uh, he, he came to America and he videoed, documentary the whole thing as he's going across the United States with, a, with a, a car that he rented or bought for the occasion, probably bought it because they bolted a juicer in the back, and he drives around the country and juices and stops at truck stops and other places and tries to, he basically becomes a juicing evangelist, okay? The guy gets excited about something and he goes out and he begins to share what he's excited about because that's what people do. And so it's always odd to me to train Seventh-day Adventists to share their faith when it's something that we ought to be doing just because we're so excited about it. But I know a little bit of what happens. When I first became, I mean, look, when I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I started sharing with everybody, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't know, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't know how many things I said, bad things, wrong things, whatever else. But it's been said before that the biggest mistake that new people make in evangelism is not making enough mistakes. I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, here's what happens. I'll guarantee you when you first came to Christ, you were so excited and you went and told somebody. And you probably told your Catholic grandmother that she's going to hell because she's part of the, you know, whatever, some kind of thing. And then afterwards you're like, mm, I shouldn't have said that. And then somebody in the, somewhere says, you know, see what you went and did? You shouldn't be out witnessing. You went and hammered those people over the head and you listened. Maybe it was just the devil whispering in your ear and said, you flubbed that one up and you listened to him and then you stopped sharing your faith. Because you didn't realize that that's the way you learn. Folks, nobody, nobody, nobody except Christ himself started out witnessing and did a perfect job. You've got to learn somewhere, like, like with anything else. You get out and share your faith and God will teach you. But I'm going to tell you that when you're excited about things, you share them. And so as a pastor, for example, I mean, if i got a guy who's a big, I'm from Michigan, and, and, and we get these Lions fans, right? Oh, Cubs fans this year were coming out of the woodwork. You didn't have to go and give a seminar to the Cubs fans and say, okay, guys, I know the Cubs just won the series, and I know you're worried and you're nervous about sharing that with people because they might be offended. So we're going to do a five-day seminar and teach you how to winningly and, 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 and kind of you know, gently tell all your friends that your team is better than their team. <laughs> you know what? We won the series! Your team's terrible! We're great. You know, you didn't have to tell anybody anything. The point again is this. When you are enthused about something, it pushes you beyond your fears. But I'm going to tell you, there's been too many voices in the Adventist church that have made us question our message. And a lot of us are uncertain. And with that, that uncertainty, you can't, you can't share a message without confidence. You know, the Bible says the three angels' messages are given with a loud voice. That implies confidence and urgency. You can't give something with confidence and urgency when you question it. I'm going to tell you something right here. If you have questions about the Adventist faith. I know people have questions and then they never look for answers. It's okay to have questions, but ask somebody. Say, you know, I've been wondering about this. Now, why do we believe? Get some answers. Make sure, get yourself grounded. If you have questions about spirit of prophecy, you know, I've just always had these nagging questions. Ask your pastor. Ask one of the elders. Do some study for yourself. There's plenty of resources. I know people say, oh, I have these questions. Have you looked into it? No. I just go to church and sit around in Sabbath school and I talk with all the other people who have those questions and we just kind of pontificate for an hour. That's not going to help you. You've got to believe the message yourself. Folks, people can sell... <laughs> I don't want to say anything if you've ever sold... People can sell all kinds of stuff that doesn't even work well because of the way they pitch it. You can sell a product that really isn't as good as the sale pitch says it is. But when it comes to the truth that we have, it's better than any pitch we could give it. It's, it's, if there's anything worth getting excited about, it's our message. If Joe Cross can get excited about juicing, we can get excited about a third angel's message. Listen to this statement from the book Evangelism, page 179. 
Ellen White tells a story. She says, on a certain occasion when Betterton, the celebrated actor, was dining with Dr. Sheldon, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop said to him, pray, Mr. Betterton, tell me why it is that you actors affect your audiences so powerfully by speaking of things imaginary. And you get that? How is it you actors make people, you're so believable, and people just, how can, how can you do that? And, and this is a minister asking the man, the archbishop, asks the question, and so the actor responds, my lord, with due submission to your grace, permit me to say that the reason is plain. It all lies in the power of enthusiasm. We on the stage speak of things imaginary as though they were real. And you in the pulpit speak of things real as though they were imaginary. Believe the message yourself. Ellen White says also in the book Prophets and Kings, page 263, when God opens the way for the accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success. Folks, Jesus has done that when he gave the Great Commission. He said, all authorities given me in heaven and earth, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, etc., etc. When God opens the way for the accomplishment of a certain work and gives assurance of success, the chosen instrumentality must do all in his power to bring about the promised result. Now listen to the last sentence here. In proportion to the enthusiasm and perseverance with which the work is carried forward will be the success given. In proportion to the two things, enthusiasm and perseverance. You're not going to be enthusiastic about something you're not convicted of. And perseverance. What is perseverance? Let me ask you this. When you hear the word perseverance, what do you think of? Tell me something you like to do. Brother, what do you like to do? Huh? Yeah, well, tell me something you like to do. Somebody tell me something you like, you really like to do. Okay, rock climb. Well, that's not a good one. <laughs> it kind of is. I was going to say, usually you don't think of persevering as something that you like to do, but there's persevering in rock climbing. The point I'm making, I was going to make is this. When I think of perseverance, I think of something that I really don't, it's going to be hard. I'll put it that way. It's going to be really hard. Right? Perseverance isn't something that's easy. It's going to be hard. You've got to, you've got to push through it. Running. That's a, that, you know, you like to run, but it's the same thing. So that ruins my, my example for perseverance. So, listening to music. Yeah, no, you don't have to persevere at listening to music. I mean, maybe you do, but... But the point is this. When the, when the servant of the Lord is telling us that in proportion to enthusiasm and perseverance, it's implying that when we go forward in the work of God, there's going to have to be some push in it. There's going to have to be some struggling, but it's going to bring results. In fact, the results are in proportion. In fact, you know what this is in context of? This particular quote from Prophets and Kings. You remember the story in the Bible where uh, Elisha was on his deathbed and um, was it King Josiah? Israel's King Josiah, not... Jo or, oh, Joash, thank you. Israel's King Joash. He, so Elisha's on his deathbed and he tells Joash, look, you're going to strike the enemies of our people. I want you to take an arrow and I want you to shoot it out the window. Right? And then he says, take the bundle of arrows and I want you to hit them on the ground. You remember this story? Anyway, you can look it up. He hits the ground three times. And Elisha says to him, oh, he said, if you would have hit the ground, he, he said, you hit the ground three times, you're only going to defeat them in three battles. If you would have hit the ground more, you would have defeated them more. And the implication was that he, he really, it was half-hearted. And Ellen White makes this comment in the context, it's in proportion to the perseverance and enthusiasm. God had opened the way for victory, but Joash just wasn't, he didn't lay hold of that victory. A lot of us just strike the ground and feel, okay, hit the ground, I'll do it. We don't persevere. God promises us according to our perseverance and enthusiasm, he'll give us success. Okay, so number one, assume the role of the teacher. Number two, believe the message yourself. Now I need to move forward here. Um, because I want to get more in the giving of the Bible study itself. Let me back up and say this. I'm not going to spend, I'll spend a little bit of time. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the actual lesson. How many of you have ever given a Bible study? Okay, good. Amen. Look at that. Uh, some of you haven't, and yet. 
But you take a Bible study lesson. We talked about this a little bit in our last session. Most of the lessons are, are straightforward question and answer. You go through and fill in the blank. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So it, that, that, isn't, that isn't rocket science. To, to, here's a question and here's the answer. But I've seen people with question and answer Bible studies not give very good Bible studies. I mean, we have students come to Emmanuel Institute. Part of our training before they get out and give the actual studies is we have labs where they give studies to each other and then we'll come around to the classroom. So like you two guys would be given studies. You'd give a Bible study to him and he'd give a Bible study to you. Full Bible study. And then the instructors would come around and we'll just pull up a chair and we'll sit in and we'll listen. And then the students get all nervous and then we say, look, just pretend we're your guardian angel giving you power and strength and giving that Bible study. But what happens is, and sometimes it's our fault in an Emmanuel session because we give the students a lot to do, but what happens is a lot of the difference comes in preparing the lesson. I remember my first job, as a, I did Bible work, and that's when you're going around full-time giving Bible studies to people. And I remember my pastor even telling me, he's like, look, you've, you know this, these, these subjects. You, you don't need, because I would spend time preparing. He said, just go out and give it, uh, which was really bad advice. I always prepared for my study, even if it's a topic I gave a hundred times. Because there, there's something about, how do I say this? When, you, when you're giving a Bible study, when you are preparing for the study, what it does is it puts it in your mind, and, and, and it's, it's, the Holy Spirit has, if I can say it, better access. You have allowed it to, to be imprinted on your mind. It's like anything that you, like if you just had an experience. How many of you have gone out and, and, and uh, sold books or gone, gone and done door-to-door or something like that, and you come back and give testimonies, okay? What's a testimony like when you first give back? What's it like tomorrow? <laughs> In other words, if I went out today and I come back, we get this at Emmanuel Institute. The students come back like, oh, we want the whole class to get together and hear the, the testimonies. The students can't wait. Oh, man, i got to tell you what happened. No, 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 hold on. I want all that enthusiasm for the whole class. Sometimes they tell it, and then it's like the next time they get a, they're like 20-minute powerful testimony, and then you get in front of the class and say, tell us what happened. Well, we went out, and we found some people home, and we signed them up for Bible studies. Where's the 20-minute testimony? But what can happen is the next day, or as it gets further away from it, you, it's out of your mind. It's not as, as fresh. When you're giving a Bible study, one of the most important things you can do to make it an interesting Bible study for the person you're giving it to is to prepare the study. What do I mean by that? First of all, you're going to go through the lesson yourself. Whatever lesson series you're using, you're going to go through the questions and the answers. You're going to look up the texts. I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't care whose study you're using. Somewhere in the series, unless it's the one you wrote, and even sometimes then, you're going to come across a text, and you're going to be like, that doesn't answer the question. That, where's the, where's that? Uh, where's the guy going with this question? Whether it's Finley's studies or I don't care what it is. Now, maybe they were going somewhere. Maybe it's a misprint or maybe they were going somewhere and you just don't know it. But there's nothing worse than getting it. If you don't prepare, you're in the Bible study, you're in the middle of it, you ask a question, they read the text and you're like, uh, and then they look at you of all the questions. They've not asked a thing. They get to that one and say, um, what does that mean? And you're like, uh, <laughs> So you go through them ahead of time, and I'm going to tell you, I don't know if I brought it up here the last session, that when you're giving studies, that study is only a tool. You are the workman or the workwoman who works that tool. It's a tool in your hands. So if you come to a question and you're like, I can't put this together, just scrap it. Take it out of the study when you're preparing. Now, maybe there's a question and you're like, I don't know where this text is going, but I know a really good text. Use that text to answer the question. Sometimes the question is the integral's key to the study, but sometimes it's not. And if you, if you don't know, scratch it so that when you're in the study, you're not like, and, and, and if you know, they're, you're following a lesson and you've given them a lesson and they're following a lesson, you, I would just, if I was going through it, I might even so much as say, I wasn't quite sure where the author of the lesson was going with that one, so I'm going to jump to the next one. Don't, make, don't feel like you've got to be the expert of everything when you're a Bible study, even though you're assuming the role of the teacher. That doesn't mean you're an expert and you know everything. People are going to ask you questions you won't know the answer to. I've got people like, I don't give Bible studies because people are going to ask me a question. I won't know what to say. Just tell them you don't know. You're not God. They don't expect you to be God. Say, you know what, I'm not sure about that. I'll, let me look that up and, and we'll talk about it next time. 
Because when you're giving Bible studies, you're going to be doing it in a series typically. You'll come back next week. So there's no shame in that. So when you're preparing your material, you want to go through the lesson, you want to look up the text, fill in the blanks, substitute a text if you need to, whatever. Highlight, the, you know, in, in most studies there are notes, explanatory notes. Highlight the things that grab your attention. Because when you're going to teach the study, you're going to make some notes that are going to, they're going to guide you. Oh, here's a point I really want to emphasize. I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Um, yeah, so go through the study and familiarize yourself. You don't want the first time you're looking at that study the time you sit down to study it with somebody. You want to have reviewed it and prepared it. One of the things I did as a Bible worker is this was back in the day of something called cassette tape. Anybody know what that is? Okay, and I took, I took a... a, a <laughs> This is how you used to have to do it, folks. I took a tape recorder, and I put it in front of the speaker on the TV, and I played Doug Batchelor videos, a whole series of his, one of his seminars, and recorded it on audio tape so I could listen to it in the car. And when I would go on a study, for example, I was getting ready for a study on the state of the dead, I would pop that tape in, and I would listen to his presentation on it. I wasn't giving his presentation. I prepared my study. But what I would do is he might bring up an illustration and I'd say, hey, that's a good illustration. He might bring up an example. Hey, I can use that. Okay, so whatever, that was all part of my preparation. I wanted to familiarize myself with the topic I was sharing. And you know what happened inevitably every single time? I became clearer on the subject. That's one of the reasons we give Bible study. And God is, you know, I was working in one of my churches and... Um, I had a, a young lady, we did an Emmanuel session, and one of the students, his, his, he was staying with his sister who lived in the area. So when we finished our Emmanuel session and he moved on, he handed off his Bible study, one of his Bible studies to his sister and her husband. So they were studying with this couple, and she would call me before the study, and coach, I would coach her a little bit, what am I going to do in this study, and what might they ask, and stuff. So we'd go over a few things. I'll never forget the time she called me up and she's like, Pastor, I can't do this anymore. I'm not, I, I can't do this. And she was all frustrated. Whoa, 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 whoa. Her name is Mary. Mary, slow down a little bit. What do you mean you can't do it? I can't do this. I'm not cut out for this. I said, what do you mean you're not cut out for this? You've been given studies now for, for several months. Well, they're asking me questions I don't know the answer to. I said, okay. I said, Mary, how long have you been an Adventist? My whole life. Your whole life. He said, yeah. I said, so your whole life, you've been a Seventh-day Adventist. You've gone to church with your parents every Sabbath. You sit in church week, in, week, week after week after week after week for 20, I don't know what she was there, 23 years. For 23 years, let me ask you a question, Mary. Until you went to that last study and they asked you the question that you didn't know the answer to, did you realize you didn't know the answer to that question? Hmm. Huh. Well, no. I said, maybe God put you in that study so he could teach you what you don't know so you could look it up so you can know it. Hmm. Never thought of that. You know, God puts us in that area so that we go stronger in our faith as well. So in preparing your study and reviewing your study, you're going to learn some things. Uh, so I'll highlight, I'll make notes Sometimes an illustration will come to my mind. It's like, hey, I got a story that goes, you put, jot it down in the study. That's all preparation. So when you go to give that study, you're ready. Those things are in your mind. That's going to make your study infinitely. That in and of itself will make your study a better study. I can't tell you how many people just, well, I didn't have time, so I just ran out to the study. And inevitably they come across that question where they, oh, what, what does this mean? Uh, I'm not really. And, and sometimes a person says, I'm not sure what it means, and they flounder on it. Sometimes people Try to make up answers like they do know what it means. And that's an experience. But I won't go into that now. And you know what? If you need to, in preparing and, and, and knowing the material, practice with somebody. I don't know why more... I'll talk to Adventists about giving Bible studies, and they'll say, Pastor, I don't, I've never given a Bible study. I'm talking about people 40 years old, been in the church their whole life. I've never given a Bible study before. What do you do on Sabbath afternoon? I go home and take a nap. For crying out loud, find two or three people in the church and practice giving Bible studies to each other. 
It'd be a much better use of the Sabbath, and you become proficient just by practicing it. So if you need to, get some friends. We did that in my first church. I got, we had a group of about 22 of us who got together on Friday nights, and we took a set of Bible lessons, and we just divided them up. And everybody did, let out a different one every Friday night. So it's like, okay, next week is your night, and you get your, and she would present. And we would do that every week. And we we're all church members. But it helped us. We all were blessed by it, and we were gaining proficiency. So all of that is under a heading uh, of knowing your material. So number one, assume the role of the teacher. Number two, believe the message yourself. Number three, know your material by preparing it, by reviewing it, and practicing if you need to. The next tip, there's two more tips I'm going to give you, is engaging your study interest. Hmm. Let me see here. I'm going to go to the screen. Oh, I hate when it does that. I have this, I have this thing that takes away the blue light. See, it all, it's all yellowed. Oh, and of course it's going to be up there somewhere. Okay, we're just going to look at it yellow because I can't. No, I'll fix it this way. Give me a second. So I'm going to show you an example of... I'm having all kinds of difficulties here. All right. Let's try this again. There we go, and I need to hit play on that. Now, this is a, one of Gary Gibbs' uh, prophecies of hope that I had mentioned in our last session. Um, you're not all going to be able to read that, but I'm going to kind of follow that for just a minute with a question and answer. And I want to show you a few differences in giving studies. This is one of the things I hear a lot. Even after I tell the students how to do it, this is where people default to. So up at the top, there's a question. It says, how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? And then it gives Daniel 4, 5. And then the answer is, I saw a dream. In fact, I have that on here as well. The answer says, I saw a, in the blank, I saw a blank which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Okay, so now in a Bible study situation, as you're going through the Bible study, you're simply asking them the question, and, you're, and then you, you're going to fill in the blank, okay? Now, sometimes you have them do this ahead of time, but I'm going to just imagine we're doing this together in the study, and so let's say I'm giving the study, and I ask the question, how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? Let's go to Daniel 4, 5. Daniel 4, and verse 5. And the Bible says, I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Okay, so it says, how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? Daniel says, I saw a dream. Question number four. What did, God, what did the king do to try to understand this message from God? Now tell me what I did wrong in that if I'm giving a Bible study. If I gave a Bible study and you were receiving and I did just what I said, what, what did I do wrong? You weren't involved at all. You're just sitting there. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen on question three and onward. You're, they're gone. Especially if you're studying something that is, that is new to them. If you're studying, for example, the state of the dead, and they've never heard that, they're just going to be, if you're doing all the talking, they're gone. So you want to engage your interest. Now, I'll tell my students this. I'll say, okay, you want to engage? The, no, 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 no. Don't do all the talking. I call it monologuing. Don't, it's not a monologue where it's just you. Oh, I got it. I got it, Pastor. Okay, I'll do it. So they'll get at it again. Question number three. How did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? Daniel 4, verse 5. Okay, I got it. I'm not going to do all the talking. Daniel 4 and verse 5. Pick on the one brother over here looking it up. You got it? 
So I'm giving a Bible study, and I ask the question, how did, tell me your name again. Josh? Josh? Yes. You're going to read Daniel 4. So I'm going to say, how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? Daniel 4, verse 5. Now we're sitting down, we're giving a Bible study, so you're going to go ahead and read that for us. I saw a dream in which uh, made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the vision of my head troubled me. Okay, so you see there that Daniel saw a dream which made him afraid. Okay, question number four. What did the king try to... Now, what's the difference? <laughs> hey, great, I had him read. What didn't I do? I, I'm just, so I'm involving him a little bit. But here's what's going to happen. And I see this happen. I'm telling you, I, I'll do a whole class. I'll do just what we did here. I'll give the example and everything else. And then we'll break up for our Bible study lab and we'll have our students get together. And what do they do? Very first thing, just what I did there. It's like we went over it in class. I'm just telling you, it's very easy. I think part of the reason is people get nervous when they're giving the Bible study. And it's almost like there's something they call radio silence. You know what I'm talking about? Which is death to a radio program. You don't want silence because people switch channels. And so you've got to have noise all the time. Well, unfortunately, we've adopted that sometimes in our thinking. So when we're giving Bible studies, we think there's always got to be noise. We're afraid to let them do the talking because if there's any pause, it's going to feel uncomfortable. Maybe you've been in a situation where there's, you ask a question and they don't answer right away. And it's quiet. Let me tell you something. God works through the silence. My brother Jim always says, embrace the silence. Just make, people make decisions in the silence. But when you're... I've seen students do that time and again. So what I... Here's what's going to happen. As I'm in this, you, you know, you've you got to understand that when you're giving somebody Bible studies, you're also teaching them how to study the Bible in that experience. And so if we're studying together, I'm studying, what's your name? Ethan. Ethan? If Ethan and I are studying together and we're doing like I did there, so I'm asking the question, and then even if he, he reads the text and I give the answer, before long, every time... We come to the question, I'll say, here's the question, read the text. He'll read the text, and as soon as he's done reading, he's going to do this. Why? He's looking to me for the answer, because I'm teaching him that I have the answer. That's not the goal we have at Seventh-day Adventist in giving Bible studies. What do I, where do I want him to see the answer? In the Bible. So what's going to happen is, we're going to read Daniel 4 or 5, and then I'll ask the question again when I'm giving a Bible study. So I ask the question. So question number three is, how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. Read Daniel 4 and verse 5. Read, Ethan, could you read that? And sometimes we'll read back and forth, but then I want him to answer it. So what's the answer there? And so we'll read it, and I'll say, okay, so how did God seek to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention? And sometimes he has the whole text here, and, and you have the blank, but different studies work differently. But I'm going to have him answer the question. I saw a... And I'm going to tell you, when you're studying with people, especially when you start out, they don't know how to get the answer from the Bible. And a lot of times you're like, what's the answer? And now they're going to be like, I don't know. And what are you going to be tempted to do? You're going to answer it. You're going to give them the answer. And you're going to be right back into that problem. So what you want to do, what you don't want to do is give them the answer. What you're going to do in a situation like that is walk them into the answer. So let's do this one. Let's ask this question. What are the identifying characteristics of God's last day church? Revelation 12, 17. You should know Revelation 12, 17. But I'm going to look it up here. Revelation 12, 17. And we read this together. So I asked the question, what are the identifying characteristics of God's last day church? And Ethan's got his Bible open, so I'm going to have him read it. Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring to keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, now let's say we... Okay, great. He reads that, and I say, so what are the identifying characteristics characteristics of this church and he might look at that and be like uh i mean you know and, and depending on the person you're studying with it'd be like what, what do you mean a characteristic and you will have already studied that this is a church and everything at this point in the study but he may be looking at this and wondering so then i'll say this i'm not going to give him the answer what i'm looking for is they keep the commandments of god and they have the testimony of jesus christ but let's say he's not getting it i say well let's look at the text again now notice what it says. The dragon was enraged with a woman. You remember, now the woman symbolizes A. And they're going to... Okay. 
And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Notice what it says. Who what? Who do what? Keep the commandments of God. Okay, so there's one of them, right? And they have the testimony. So, so what are the two characteristics? And I'm going to keep doing that until they give me the answer. Otherwise, all I'm doing is pontificating. I'm becoming their priest or their pope and telling them everything to believe, and I don't want to do that. And you don't want to do that when you're giving a Bible study. What you're going to find also is, if you do always give the answer, either you're going to get them looking to you for the answer, or you're just going to bore them to tears. If you keep them involved and engaged, they're going to enjoy the Bible study because they're a part of it, and they go away and they're like, man, I can't believe it, I'm learning stuff in the, the Bible. It answers its own questions. It gives the, and they're going to learn that the Bible reveals truth. That's your goal in Bible study. It's key in making a Bible study interesting, engaging your study interest. Now, we talked, I talked to you about the um, audio verse advance. There's a lot more detail on there because I'm looking at the clock here and I'm very close to out of time. I've got one more thing I want to cover. So when you're engaging your interest, oh, you want to have them involved as I'm pointing out there. I mean, just... The key there is just make sure that they're involved. And there's going to be discussion, too, that you have. But don't just plow through it and monologue it like your job is just to get there, read the study, and get out. Engage them in the study. You're there to teach them. And you're not doing any good if they're not learning. And so periodically, that's why when I'm asking the question and making Ethan answer or Josh answer or the person I'm studying with answer, I know they're getting it. Okay. I'm not going way ahead to where at the end, here's what happens too. A lot of these studies have these appeals at the end. They're like, did you understand the study? Yes. And all that, you know, that's kind of a partial answer in their head. They're thinking, yes, I understand that. I'm not getting a single thing out of this. Um, that's a reality. There'll be people like, uh-huh. <laughs> they don't get anything. You want, you know, when I'm asking those questions, they're answering, I know they're getting something. And even periodically through the study, I might say, now, are you following this so far? And then I may recap with something. But that's, part of that's assuming the role of the teacher. Okay. Um, another thing that I will do in that context is ask uh, practical questions periodically. Uh, so we've got the question answer there. But I might say, how would you explain that text in your own words? Get them thinking about it a little bit more. How does that apply to your life today? How might you take what we've just looked at there and apply it to the week you've had this week? And the more you're studying with somebody, you'll know some of what's going on in their week. And so there'll be certain parts of the study where you know you can bring this home in a practical way. It's made, while that's what doing, it's, it's helping them not only to see the truth in the Bible, but it's helping it to come alive in a practical way in their life. And the Lord will help you do that. And you may be sitting here thinking, yeah, but you're saying that now, but I don't know what I would ask if I was in this situation. You don't have to because the Spirit knows what to ask through you. That goes back to the very first thing. God will put things in your mind. And I know I'm talking that, that a number of you here have had that very experience where you're like, you come away from it and say, wow, I mean, I was talking to somebody and all of a sudden all these ideas came to my head. I didn't mean they came out of nowhere. Well, it wasn't nowhere. It came from the Lord. He'll do that for each one of us. So you want to engage that study interest in the study. Uh, another thing that I like to do is encourage them to ask questions. Let them know they can ask you questions. That doesn't mean you have the answer right now. I've had people, sometimes I'll ask a question that I know I'm covering in an upcoming study, so I'll say that. You know, I've got a whole lesson coming up on that. There it is. Oh, good. And, and we will. Sometimes they ask a question that's going to take me far too long to answer. If I answer that now and try to answer it now, it'll derail the study. Okay? So, so I, what I'll do oftentimes when I'm studying with somebody is I'll have them get a study notebook. And I'll say, why don't you write that down? And then we'll have times when we go to the study notebook and we answer some of those questions. That way they know. I, what I don't want to do is make them feel they can't ask a question. When they feel they can ask a question, and I, even if I don't know the answer to it, I'm going to tell you it's more powerful to people to ask a question and have you say, you know, I'm not sure of the answer. Let me study that out and I'll bring it back. That's more powerful to them than you just throwing something out. Because they'll be telling their friends, man, this is, he, he's a real person. I mean, he doesn't act like he has all the answers, but he goes and finds them, and when he finds them, they're in the Bible. I've had it happen. The last, the last tip 
is apply the truth to the heart, not the head. Okay? Don't forget that your purpose in giving the study is to lead souls, in the word of Ellen White, to lead souls into the truth. Okay? You're not just exchanging head knowledge here. This requires them to make a personal application of what they're learning. Your appeals, therefore, need to be applied to their daily life and practice, not merely a mental assent to the truth. So, for example, when appealing on the Sabbath study, at the end of every study, there's an appeal question, even in the printed lessons. But I like to go, you know, a lot of times they're kind of a yes or no, and in fact, I had a, a, a guy we just baptized this spring, and he, right away, I have to go back a little bit. I told you Tony's surefire method for getting a Bible study in the last session, just asking somebody, right? Or the, the couple sessions ago. His grandma came to our manual session. We challenged him to ask somebody you've always wanted to study with if they would be willing to study. And so she thought of her grandson and asked him. We baptized him in June. She asked him. He said, yes. She now he said, well, my grandma did it for me, so I can't not do it for somebody else. So he tried the same thing on a friend of his, and his friend said yes, and he's in Bible studies with him. Okay? Right after he was baptized, he's given Bible studies because he just asked somebody. So in the course of that, he said, you know, I'm giving a study, and, the, and we get down to the end, and the appeal question, and I asked my friend, you know, the appeal question, will you commit your whatever? And he said, my friend answered, I put yes. And he's like, what does that mean? I put yes. Like, and as he's telling it to me, did he mean yes? Or is he telling me, I just put what you wanted me to put? And so this is, you got to understand, uh, uh, Tyler, too, the, the church member who's asking this. He's just like, I want to make sure he's answering. But his concern was that this person was just answering what his friend thought he wanted to hear. And I told him, ask a follow-up question. You know, don't, if you feel, if you're not clear, be clear on it. Ask them a practical, so are you going to take what we learned in this lesson, or are you going to apply it to your experience? So, for example, you might, you could ask about the Sabbath and say, so do you see from the Bible that the Sabbath is on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, and, and that's the commandment of the Lord, or, or that's the Sabbath according to the commandment. You could ask that, and intellectually they'll say, uh-huh. Or you can ask, so... Are you willing to commit yourself to honoring Christ on his holy day from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday? Are you willing to put this into practice? That's a different question. You understand what I'm saying? So the last tip is when you're giving Bible studies, see, here's what's going to happen. If you don't ask that kind of question, you can get all the way through and the person never really made a real decision to do anything. You, here's the thing that's going to happen, and it's hard for me to explain this now, but when you, for those who have given studies, you know this, when you give studies with people, study after study, you, build, you can't help but build a relationship. And that relationship puts you in a context to challenge them in ways that you couldn't have before. You'll be talking about, they're going to be asking you spiritual advice all the time because you've become their spiritual teacher. That happens in that context. So don't be afraid to challenge them and ask the practice, make the practical application. Have you begun to practice this? Are you willing to make this decision to do this in your life? Listen, I know you've been struggling with this in your life, but now's his time. You know, you're going to have some real application there. If you don't do that, you'll go all the way through, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. That person, if they're not making decisions, will become harder to the truth instead of more open to the truth. And so I've had people that say, I've given Bible studies before, but nobody makes a decision. That's because you're not asking them to make decisions. We're going to talk about that on Friday. Tomorrow, we're going to have... Uh, how to lead people to make spiritual decisions. And that's going to be key. It goes right along with the last thing I mentioned here and, and making that lesson applicable to their heart, practical in their life, not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge and a transforming power to change their lives. Well, thank you for your time today. Sorry I went over a little bit. I'm really counting on you guys leaving here, and more than me, the Lord is counting on you and leaving here and leading other souls into the truth. You can do it. Put your faith in Him and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Will you do that? Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. And I ask, Lord, now that you will empower each person here. Father, there are some here with great nervousness and fear over the idea or the concept of going out and giving a study. 
But Lord, I pray your spirit would encourage them that it is not their work, but your work. And you'll work through them. And that souls will be won into your kingdom. Because we say, here I am, Lord, send me. So use us, Lord, to this end. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.